beautiful people. Welcome back to Brown, Bad, and Bothered. If you are new here, special hello to you. I'm Andrea, and I hope you have a pleasant time exploring this podcast. If you are a returning listener, hey girl, I know, I know, it's been a while, life got a little bit too hectic, and I was burning out, but I'm back. Okay, let's just jump straight into it. As you can tell from the title, today's episode is a story time that's got to do with a stalker situation I had going on years ago. So the thing is, as far as super disturbing and dangerous stalking situations go, this really isn't on some extreme level or an extreme situation. I've been in situations, unfortunately, before and after this event that were more dangerous. Stories similar to this have resulted in much worse endings for other victims. But the reason I'm sharing this specific story of mine is because of the way the situation was developed and then treated. It's quite a simple story, but it affected the way I saw harassment, victim shaming, and speaking up. I think it's important to dissect how situations like this, how insignificant they may seem, can be challenging to unlearn the damaging lessons. This story is for the girls and the boys who have been through something that made them feel unsafe or uncomfortable, but it didn't feel like it was unsafe enough or uncomfortable enough to take action, or they were shut down when they did speak up. This is for you. Your story isn't insignificant. I think a lot of it had to do with the age and not knowing better, the normalization and glamour of being stalked, and the romanticism of persistence, which I hope the people in the situation have overcome. I think the story unravels our society's acceptance for boys will be boys and the consequences of such situations, but it also feeds into an issue which is still thriving today, the idea that persistence is sexy and romantic, which we have seen go horribly wrong in various parts of the world when it comes to gender violence. I think this story showcases that, as a society, we need to do more to denormalize certain mindsets and behaviors before what we think is excusable becomes genuine threat and danger. It explores the very gray area of what stalking is and what people perceive it as and how easy it is for a situation to escalate. Which is another reason why I want to chat about this. For those of you who don't know better, or maybe too young, or just ignorant to understand why certain situations aren't just shits and giggles. Okay, so flashback to IGCC, I must have been around 15 years old. For those of you who aren't aware or familiar, IGCC is a British curriculum, it's a two-year program, you learnt the syllabus over two years, and at the end of the second year, you take your final Cambridge board exam. It's like a school-leaving certification. So back in Botswana, the first year of IGCC was called Form 4, and Form 5 was the second year. At this point, I was in Form 4, and the boy slash stalker in question was in Form 5. He deadass should have been focusing on his upcoming final exams instead of like this whole situation that was about to go down. So let's get into the background history of this stalker boy. I'm going to give him the name, the codename Salman after Salman Khan because He really just does give me creepy Salman vibes, especially his character in the movie Tere Nam, but without the air quotes, cool boy status and leather jackets. 
So Salman, as I mentioned, was in the year above me. He was quite well known on campus. Um, this wasn't because he was the cool, popular kid, but was known because his father was a teacher on campus. And the both of them, unfortunately, had this reputation of being weird or creepy or just seen as unlikable. Salman was often picked on or mocked for his personality and how he looked. But I think most of it was behind his back. This guy just seemed to be given a hard time for who he was. I don't think people were necessarily mean to him but you could just tell that people didn't actually respect him you know like how there's that one kid that the popular kids are nice to their face whenever this kid is around the popular kids or people will just laugh at their jokes pretending it's actually funny and that this kid is super cool and they're just like egging him on but as soon as the kid leaves the situation they're all just thinking or talking about how much of a loser they think he is i think this was the situation that salman was in at the time and i had never actually spoken to the dude we had mutual friends um or we had crossed paths on campus or at cultural events, but we had never actually spoken. In fact, I don't even have the memory of ever like greeting him or waving hello to him because he was just some random dude I knew about and we didn't really like have a reason to interact. So one day coming towards the end of the year where everyone's gearing up for the Form 5 prom, everyone's excited to see who's going to take who to prom, who's going to wear what, what is the tea going to be, is there going to be any drama? A good friend of mine, let's call him G, uh g is super funny and charismatic g approaches me and he's like yo salman has a crush on you and it's absolutely fucking hilarious we as in the guys in his year are trying to get him to ask you to prom which by the way everyone in that situation knew was going to be a no from my side i had feelings for someone else that people knew about and the people the boys in the situation knew that i'd never actually interacted with salman at all and I had absolutely zero interest to go to prom with him. And the other part of it was that the boys already had this attitude of no one in their right mind would actually want to go to prom with Salman because of his reputation and his personality and what they perceived as his overall lack of charm. Which in itself, this whole thing is already fucked up already because they're just trying to put this boy in the situation to ask a girl out to be rejected and like make it this funny, embarrassing, I guess, prank. So anyways, over the next few weeks, it turned into this orchestra of more and more guys from my year and the year above coming up to me and telling me, you have to say yes to Salman, it's going to be hilarious. Um, And I remember I would just constantly say that I'm not comfortable with this. Um, Please stop leading Salman on. Like, this just seems horrible, you know? And, you know, I really wasn't okay with it. And even if I did want to go to prom with him, my parents wouldn't allow it because, um indian parenting and you know if he did have a crush on me i didn't want him to be led on by these boys and then have his feelings hurt because i say no if he did ended up deciding to ask me to prom and i just remember feeling like oh my god this is so childish for final year high school students to be playing silly matchmaker as a sick joke and form of entertainment and i remember getting to a point where these boys were telling me like look you know we're going to tell him that you like him and that you have a crush on him so he can just, like, fucking ask you to prom. And I was like, guys, please don't, like, this is ridiculous. Like, this is, like, I'm not okay with this. And see, 
I've grown up with boys and I'm used to banter and bullying and tough love and pranks and pulling of legs, but the situation genuinely made me so uncomfortable. I didn't understand why I was being used to lead this poor guy on. But at the same time, I couldn't just tell if these guys were pulling my leg also, how much of the situation was real. And for some reason, I also didn't feel confident or comfortable going up to Salman and trying to talk to him about this. Imagine our first conversation being like, hey Salman, I heard you have a crush on me, don't ask me to prom and ignore the boys, I don't like you, and I don't know why these boys are doing that. Like, even if I try to frame it politely and, you know, not aggressively or whatever, I just felt really awkward about starting this conversation with Salman. So... I decided to not do anything about it at that point. But before I knew it, there were rumors going around the social circles that Salman had in fact asked me to prom and I had said yes. So I guess these boys had hyped him up so much, but at the same time, he didn't have the balls to actually do it. So he was pretending that he did ask me and that I did say yes. In fact, Salman was so hyped up on this apparently confident choo-choo train that he himself started telling people that we were officially dating. Like we were together, we were boyfriend-girlfriend, and that I really liked him. And I had random people coming up to me and asking me if this was true, and they looked completely baffled. And, you know, at some point I was like, okay, maybe people are making this up, like he wasn't actually telling people this. But he, in fact, was going up to my one of my best friends at this time and was like, hey, guess what? this is a tea. Yeah, Andrea likes me and I can't believe it. We're together and we're going to prom. And she genuinely was like, what the fuck are you talking about? This is not true. And she obviously came and told me this. To say I was livid would be an understatement, right? See, as most Indian girls, um, at this time during high school, I was shamed a lot. Botswana is a small country, and the Indian community is massive, conservative, and news spreads fast. I was always scrutinized for what I wore, which when I look back at was literally just skinny jeans and sleeveless tops. And I was shamed for the fact that I had male friends, and I had layers in my hair, and I wore makeup, and I dated. I was at a point in my life where I was shamed and scrutinized for simply existing the way in which most of my non-Indian peers did. I also had a fair share of rumors being made up by spiteful brown girls claiming I had done certain things, or grown-ass men in their mid-twenties spreading nasty sexual rumors because I didn't give them certain attention even though I dressed a certain way. And a part of me already struggled between feeling helpless and infuriated by my lack of control over how I was being perceived, but also knowing that what other people had to say didn't and shouldn't mean shit because I know who I am and I know what's true and what's not. So anyways, while I was dealing with that, um, I remember updating my friends about this frustrating situation and I remember they would literally just laugh and be like, it's Salman, man, everyone knows it's a lie. But all that did was make me feel like my own power over my own narrative in life didn't matter. That anyone could claim anything about me and that I should just accept it. And then things escalated. So I lived in a double-story house and my bedroom and bathroom windows faced an empty plot. I could easily look into the empty plot and see whatever was happening there and whoever was in the empty plot, depending on their position and distance from my windows, could potentially see into my space if my curtain and windows were open. We sometimes had people who would park in the empty plot and we would have regulars who would sort of come by 
you know, to sneak a drinking session in or to hook up or to smoke weed. I know this may sound weird for people in certain parts of the world, but my family sort of knew which were the regular cars to come into this empty plot and do whatever they were doing. And the reason for this is that um, back home, break-ins and house robberies are really, really common. So it was normal for people to be aware of who was just chilling outside their house because what would happen is that you could have people like criminals stake out your house and literally just like see the patterns of when you leave and come in and like what you're like how you go about your day so they could figure out when to break in and this was pretty common. And I started to notice the specific white car that was parking in the empty plot during this period of time and they were there quite frequently for hours at a time and I would notice sometimes they would go drive around and then come back and it was just really weird and they weren't doing anything specific but from that distance I could make out that it was one person I remember telling like my mom like oh that's weird like I keep noticing like this one car outside our house recently and like we didn't think too much about it and I remember going back to school one day and a friend of mine I'm gonna call him Kay who knew about the Salman situation and he lived in my neighborhood came up to me and he mentioned that he noticed that Salman was driving around my street one day and he was surprised because um Salman's never usually in our area and he lives on the other side of town and because Kay stays close to my area like within my neighborhood it would make sense that he noticed this like I was like I highly doubt he's just making this up for drama and that's when it clicked was this dude staking out my fucking house and it wouldn't have been crazy for this to be possible because quite a lot of people knew where I lived because my mom was a private tutor and she had um students from all across the major high schools coming to our house frequently and if anyone needed to get in contact with my mom or to know where we live they could have easily asked her students for our landline number or our house address so if it was him it wouldn't have been that hard for him to know where my house was and my house also had like very specific features and a location so if you had the smallest idea or knowledge of our neighborhood you could easily recognize my house just from just from the description itself so anyways i went back home that day after school and i remember just waiting for this mystery car to pitch up again and, and like i don't know why like i was so scared to just look out of the window properly that like I was like crouching and like looking from the corner scared if you would notice me and I was like looking between the blinds and stuff and I think within a day or two from when Kay had told me this I had noticed that white car again and because they were parked so closely to the boundary wall and to the window I was able to jot down the number plate and what I did was as soon as I got to campus the next day I went and found some friends who would have known Salman's plate number and details and I tried to confirm if this was his car and it was quite easy to do so because technically it was his dad's car and a lot of the students on campus were already familiar with the car and also because Botswana is a small country especially Gaborone the capital city is a small city people know each other's cars and number plays quite well I don't know it's like small country things so it was confirmed Salman was parking outside specifically outside my window <laughs> on a very regular basis. The thing is like I don't know if he w if he knew that was my window. I don't think he did. I think he was probably just there trying to like see me enter and exit the house. But either way, it just wasn't a vibe and 
at the same time when I'd found this out, he kept harassing my best friend for super personal information about me. So he was like going up to my best friend for whatever reason, thinking that she believed that like we were actually together and she would tell him, dude, like, I don't believe you. Why are you harassing me? Andrew is not interested in you. But he would just constantly try to like get her to give personal information about me. Like, what am I doing? Where am I? What are my interests? And all of these intel, I guess. And that really ticked me off because I could see how uncomfortable my best friend was getting. And like I myself was really uncomfortable with this situation. So I sent a really pissed off 15 year old message to him. Uh, basically calling him out on everything and like telling him that like I'm really angry and if he continues doing this I'm gonna like, get my parents involved and stuff to which he just replied saying he doesn't know anything about what I'm talking about he completely denied everything and he also said and I pulled out this conversation on my messenger after digging for it while making this podcast um, and like one line that he said was my bros know my story probably referring to the immature male peers who thought it would be funny to persuade this guy Guy to pursue me ultimately leading to him making up this like fantasy relationship which led to him like parking outside my house for weeks and for any of you wondering why and how this is stalking I also just wanted to add that according to multiple professionals you have various type of stalkers stalking usually what we come across the news or in media such as movies and shows are the predatory stalker the rejected stalker and the resentful stalker However, what I think Salman kind of falls under is what is known as the intimacy stalker or the intimacy seeking stalker, which arises out of a context of loneliness. Victims are usually strangers or acquaintances who become the target of the stalker's desire for a relationship. The stalker may have delusional beliefs of the victim, such as a belief that they're already in a relationship. Sound familiar? <laughs> um... The initial motivation is to establish an emotional connection and an intimate relationship and the stalking is maintained by the satisfaction that comes from the belief that they are closely linked to the other person even though none exists. Why does this sound eerily like the beginning of You Season 1? So, upon doing more research on what qualifies as stalking, I found that these were stalking behaviors that Salman was displaying, yet was passed off as normal and funny. So, waiting outside a person's home, job, class, or car, spreading rumors online or in person, which was obviously the part where he was telling everyone we were dating and intimate together, collecting information about the person through friends and family, and contacting other people in order to gain information about how to access them, which was you know, he was doing these things. And I completely recognize that the situation could have been much worse. I think what was most disappointing for me was to, to be made to feel as if I was a problem. No one around me, including friends, thought that it was worth confronting him or feeling upset or uncomfortable about. I felt that I was in the wrong because a bunch of immature boys led a creepy boy to pursue me even though I showed absolutely zero interest and specifically did not consent to being part of this joke or plan or whatever it was. I was in the wrong for feeling irritated because he was making up lies about us being together and intimate, potentially putting me at risk with my parents because if they heard I was with a boy, I would get into trouble. And I felt like I was in the wrong because I was uncomfortable that he would park outside my house for whatever reason, given the context that he's already telling everyone that we're together. So it couldn't have just been a fluke, right? 
Yeah, maybe I didn't need to feel so scared because he hadn't actually tried to physically contact me. But the situation could have so easily resulted in him bothering me at school, calling my landline, becoming violent, or God knows what else. Which you might be thinking, oh my God, so dramatic, Andrea, but I'm sorry. We need to remember the number of countless women and young girls who have been gravely traumatized, sexually assaulted, injured, or even killed due to persistent males not being able to take no as an answer or the entitlement that men have towards a woman's body and their need to be persistent until they get what they want. We see this from society, whether it's teenagers or adults, especially with him being South Asian and how common it is for South Asian men to use acid attacks and violence and murder as a result of ego bruises and rejection. It's not a stretch to think about how many other girls experienced such situations that resulted in much worse endings than mine. 80% of women who were stalked were also physically assaulted, while 30% were sexually assaulted, with the younger population being more at risk. There was also the element of people implying that I should enjoy the attention, as if saying, oh my god, I'm being stalked, was this Bollywood-esque romantic spectacle, when the reality was that I was scared. I was scared of what other lies he would say and what would people believe. What if he started saying we were having sex and it reached an auntie and that my parents? Remember, I'm a South Indian girl in a community where my family's honor and reputation stems from my fucking vagina. And I really wanted to tell my parents what was happening because I felt unsafe with him being outside our house. The fear and paranoia of what will he do next? But then I started thinking, okay, I've spoken to my friends about it and... They don't seem to understand and they think I'm overreacting and generally my friends understand me better than my parents so if they don't understand why the situation affects me, how will my parents understand? And I began to feel like this experience was insignificant. And that's a very dangerous message to send to young girls who are trying to grasp an understanding of what consent, harassment and even personal autonomy is. It didn't take some huge, dangerous moment to make me feel unsafe, unheard, and shameful as a victim. It took a community of peers and a societal approach to an issue that was normalized and turned into some form of entertainment for a group of boys. I don't blame my peers or the boys. I I blame the society we live in that has continued to normalize boys will be boys mindset, but that also your story and experience only matters if it reaches a certain level of threat. What we need to do is raise awareness on what seems to be insignificant acts which can actually build up and result in dangerous behaviors and mindsets. The thing is, right, stalkers or rapists or sexual predators aren't built overnight. One doesn't go from being a non-stalker to tapping your phone overnight. It is most usually a gradual incline up the ladder, right? And when you excuse stalking behavior at a lower level, when you normalize it, encourage it, applaud it, or blatantly turn a blind eye, you're only leaving room for the normalization and the potential for a stalker to climb up this ladder. And I'm not saying that Salman for sure today has turned into a fully-fledged stalker or predator, but because society made it seem like the lies that were going on, the fantasy, the parking outside my house was completely normal and encouraged. It leaves space for him potentially getting worse. It's also important to see the trend and role in which stalking plays on other crimes. Not only is stalking often an indicator of other forms of violence, it has been linked to femicide. 
76% of women who were murdered by an intimate partner were stalked first. 89% of femicide victims who had been assaulted before their murder were also stalked in the last year prior to their murder. 54% of femicide victims reported stalking to the police before they were killed by the stalkers. So what I did was Google this exact phrase, schoolgirl stalked and attacked by classmate. And these were some of the cases that popped up on just the first page of Google results. A 16-year-old boy in Watertown, Massachusetts was accused of trying to murder a female classmate with a hatchet. So the records show that the girl had reported this male classmate for stalking and harassing her since the beginning of the school year. Another report showed that in 2017, Lauren Gidding, a law student at Mercer University, was murdered and dismembered by a stalking classmate. The stalker had full access to her apartment by getting a master key and would routinely break into her place without her realizing. In fact, she noticed a few things feeling and looking weird in her apartment after a trip a year prior to her murder, but never spoke up. In 2020, Haryana college student Nikita Tomar was shot dead by a classmate who was stalking her. She was killed because her stalking classmate was upset that she rejected his marriage proposal. And this is why it's so important to denormalize and unlearn what is just seen as fun and, you know, what is seen as just being a silly teenager. Because you never know when or which silly, goofy, love-struck stalker situation will result in someone being assaulted or killed. Which, by the way, even if it doesn't reach that level of danger, can we just agree that stalking and the romanticism of it isn't cool and is creepy? Which is why I urge you, if you ever find yourself in a situation that makes you feel unsafe or uncomfortable, no matter how insignificant it may seem to you, or to others, speak up, keep speaking up, and if your peers or friends don't listen or understand, find someone who will. I know it sounds redundant to say, or maybe over the top if you're being conditioned to think that such situations aren't a big deal, but speak to an adult, speak to your parents. I let the fear and worry about sounding silly or dramatic stopped me from speaking to my parents even though I felt really uncomfortable, especially with the part of him parking outside my house. Because the reality is that you never know how your story or your situation may escalate or end and it could cost you your life. I think there is still so much to uncover about the normalization of stalking and persistence and um, I think it will be really interesting and informative to do an episode specifically on how Bollywood itself has played a role in normalizing and romanticizing stalking in South Asian society, which has unfortunately led to high rates of femicide and, you know, what can we do about it and what do we need to do about it and what are we doing about it? I hope you guys have enjoyed this week's episode. If you did, please subscribe and check out my Instagram at brownbadandbothered. I would love to hear your feedback. Thank you for tuning in 